All right. So, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. You know, Daniel asked me if I would preach, which is weird because he already knows the answer before he asked the question. Then he gives me a date, and I'm like, oh, so I can pick Christmas or New Year message. Okay, this will be cool. And, and it would be very interesting if I had decided to go totally classic Christmas message because I then would have had to rewrite everything because Bill brought the word so wonderfully on our Christmas Eve service, and uh, uh, Bill was in the first service. I'm glad that I didn't go that route or else you guys would have just got round two. Oh, what an amazing year. What an amazing God we serve. We're going to dive into John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. And anytime you dive in midway through a book, and in this case, midway through a book and partway through the chapter, you have to have a little bit of context here. So as you're turning there or getting your device turned on, let me just bring you up to speed real quick. Chapter 10 is a continuation of chapter 9. Jesus heals a man that was born blind. And the Pharisees don't like this. You can see it's a Sabbath day when he did this. And so they, they antagonize the man who was healed. Then they seek out his parents and give them a hard time as well. And then they find Jesus and start asking him 20 questions. And Jesus responds in typical Jesus fashion. In a parable steeped in deep theological truths that we're still talking about today. So as we're here, let's go ahead and take a look. John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Real quick, how would you like to be traveling down the coast of California this morning in a brand new car? Think about it. If you want, you can even do this little thought exercise with me. Close your eyes if you're into that sort of thing. Imagine it. You're in a brand new car. Yep, smells right. Traveling down the edge of the continent. You've got the road right next to the ocean. You, you roll down your window and you hear the waves crashing on the shore. You get a big, deep breath of that kelp-infused sea mist. It's almost perfect, isn't it? You decide this is a perfect time to get some snapshots, get a selfie or two, update Instagram. So you go ahead and want to pull off on the side of the road to do so. But you got a problem here because there's no brake pedal. Come to think of it, there's not even a steering wheel. You want to know why? <laughs> yeah, that seems a little bit weird, doesn't it? I'm guessing some of you are a little hesitant. Hang on. No, 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 Jason. I didn't get in that car. That's not the car I'm driving. And that, that makes sense, right? Because we don't like to put our trust into things we don't understand, things we cannot control, especially things we don't even comprehend. Like, how do those cars stay on the road? Are there magnets in the ground every six feet? Like, what if there's a deer? Like, all of these questions start to pop in our head. There's no way I'm going to put my life in the hands of this robot car. And if you think you're, I'm nuts, that's, that's fine. I get that a lot. But you know who doesn't think I'm nuts? General Motors. Yeah, you see, they've got this autonomous car startup called Cruise LLC, and to date, they've raised over $9.25 billion to make that a reality in our lifetime. You see, I didn't have to grow up learning how to drive a stick. Don't hate me. But you didn't have to learn how to shoe a horse either. And so some of the little boys and girls down this wing in the nursery are not going to have to learn how to drive the way you and I did. 
it's very conceivable that in our lifetime, Jetsons meets the Flintstones, right? Like we're going to have this little moment where you just hop in the door and go. Doesn't make us feel comfortable, though, does it? Putting our life in the hands of some robot car? And what about hackers? What if they get it? What are they going to do? What if it takes me somewhere I don't want to go? What if it takes me to that doctor's appointment that I've been putting off for six weeks? All of these things pop in our head. I don't trust this because I can't control it. You know, because none of us have ever put on makeup or, or checked the score or texted or eaten a chalupa on the way home from work after the day ran long. None of us are guilty of that. You see, we don't understand how these cars could be deemed so safe when I've got a pretty good track record myself. And it's these things that we don't understand that usually give way to the most fear. And just like the Pharisees, in John chapter 10, we were designed to trust God. But all too often, Christians, and especially non-Christians, we find ourselves instead putting our faith and trust in ourselves, in the things that we understand, and the things that we can control. And when our way of life is challenged, we, we tend to get a little bristly. You might say we're more like a porcupine, right, instead of the soft, fluffy bunny. We, we lash out, we bare our fangs, and the claws come out. How dare you try to tell me how to live my life? You see, Jesus challenged the Pharisees' way of thinking when he said, I healed, so what? And I don't see what the big deal is. And for us in 2020, our way of life was challenged quite a bit. Masks, no masks. Do y'all want social distancing or do you want to be locked in your house forever? You really got to take your pick here, right? And we're not making this political. This is just what we've lived through in 2020. Our way of life was challenged. You know, when I preached this time last year, I warned everyone, based off of what I had read in Scripture, that the coming year is a year in which we need the Bible like no other year. And I didn't know anything about COVID because I don't watch the news. I just knew that we need the Bible. And that's what every good preacher says, right? We need the Bible. Little did we know we would have 2020 be what it was. And I'm preaching now from the same Word of God, and I'm telling you again, we need the Bible. We need this to challenge our way of thinking. And when that happens, we can't get all defensive. We can't start to lash out and want to retaliate. We can't start attacking. Bad things happen, right? But we know God is good. At least that's what we tell our kids. That's what we tell our friends. It's what we tell our neighbors and our coworkers. But when they happen to us, what happens? Are we all rainbows and sunshines? Oh, hey, you know what? Just buried my loved one. Just lost my job. Just lost a baby, but you know what? It's all great in sunshine and roses because God's got a plan. I'm happy. That's not what we do, nor should we. But even in the midst of our sorrow and our trials, there is joy because we are a child of the King if we profess faith in Jesus. What we don't do is start to get on our high horse and start putting our personal preference above the good of others. And that can come in many different forms. For the Pharisees, it was to follow a very strict, rigid set of rules that they had devised so that they could appear more holy than the others. What is it for you? Some of us say, well, Jason, yeah, I, I get that, but that, that's not really me, man, because like, I'm the first one in work, I'm the last one to leave the building, and, and, and so I get that, right? That, that's true of a lot of us, but are we going to say that our, our track record is spotless? Do we really think that we've never said I, I can't because my plate's full. Oh, brother, I would love to help, but hmm, you see, you don't know what I've been through. I would totally do that ministry. I would totally go to that land. But if you had a childhood like mine, you would know that I, I just can't. Come on, man, cut it. 
We can compare war stories if we need to. But right now, the Word of God is having a very real call on your life. We are called to obey and submit. And whether He's calling you to a ministry, or He's calling you to faithful giving, or He's calling you to spend more time in His Word. We need to obey. We can't fight. And then we get into to the sort of things where the Scripture kind of is silent on some of these things, or at least it would, it would appear that way. You know, we start to have the government impose some regulations on us, and we start to boast in the Declaration of Independence, and we talk about how free we are in this country as red-blooded Americans, as if somehow that supersedes the authoritative Word of God that was inspired by the Spirit. We start to think that I don't need to comply. I don't need to sacrifice my comfort and my personal preferences. I need to fight. I need to rally the troops against this, that, and the other thing. Excuse after excuse after excuse to why we won't give, why we won't read, why we won't serve, why we won't go. And it's all in a foolish attempt to sear our conscience so that we can be okay with who we are and what we're doing. But you know, every time we do this, every time we try to justify our sinful actions, we're really just harboring more and more animosity in our hearts towards the gospel. Because if we truly trusted the gospel in the words of Jesus, we wouldn't sin. Because what is sin if not us declaring, very bravely might I add, my way is better than yours. See, sometimes we just don't trust God. We don't trust that giving a little more or spending a little more time in the word or, or sacrificing to meet the needs of others. We just don't have the faith that God will make sure it all works out in the end. But John tells us here in, in chapter 10, verses 7, 8, and 9, that because Jesus is the door, we can trust him. I'm going to tell you, I've read the rest of the New Testament, and I think many of you have as well, obeying Christ and following him is costly. It's scary at times, but I promise you it's worth it. So here we are. Because Jesus is the door, we can trust him. And Jesus, having already used the sheep-shepherd metaphor in the first few verses before we get to verse 7, and knowing that the Pharisees and everyone in earshot, right? Because Jesus is probably in the middle of the town, maybe on a dirty street, and he's having this showdown really with the Pharisees. Because remember, they're attacking him for healing on the Sabbath. He's having this conversation, and everyone in earshot would know very specifically about Israelite shepherding industry. And, and Jesus says, I am the door. And, and, and we read this, and it's often lost on us because we don't live back then. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. And do you know what it looked like to be a shepherd in the ancient Near East? No Home Depots. So the shepherds weren't constructing sheepfolds out of lumber. In fact, the shepherd's job was to find pasture for the sheep. There weren't trees around because if the land was hospitable enough to support some sort of vegetation and trees, they would have used it for farming. So the shepherds, the dirty outcasts of society, have to then go wander through the hilly countryside and find a place for the sheep to get some food. You know what that area had plenty of? Rocks. Rocks. And if you're a gardener, you know how troublesome they can be for gardening, but you know how great they are for building a sheepfold. I don't know if you can see it in the picture back here. Uh, but what they would do to build a sheepfold back in the days when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees is they would take large stones and stack them up maybe four, maybe six feet tall. And on top, they put thorny bush wire. It's a pretty good deterrent for thieves and robbers and predators. And, and, and you know what else they didn't have back then? 
tractor supply stores. So what was noticeably absent from this wonderful construction to keep the sheep safe is one of those big giant yellow steel gates with the well-oiled hinges and a special spot for your padlock that didn't exist. So what they did have is this opening just big enough for a sheep to fit through. And in some cases, the, the archaeological evidence has shown that the, the entranceway to the sheep gate would have been a V. Well, the tiny little sheep feet can fit through the bottom and the big bulky shoulders can fit through at the top. It's a great way to make sure other larger animals don't sneak in. And then, how do you keep the sheep safe? Well, the shepherd, he'd put life and limb on the line and he would sleep in the entrance. And, and what is a gate or a door if not an entrance? A living door, if you will. You know what kind of message that sends to any potential thief or robber or predator? It's as if someone has no value in their own life and they say, come at me, bro. You want the sheep? You got to go through me first. And think about it. We know that feeling. We're, a lot of us are parents in here. And parents, just like shepherds, we, we have this thing that kind of overtakes us when we become parents that... I don't care how sweet the woman, how timid and meek the man, when they become a parent, there is something inside of them that changes and snaps if their child is threatened. I am capable of, of things I never thought I'd be capable of if somebody harms my child. No apologies. Like you will be ended today. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Because we're parents, this is what we do. We keep the kids safe. It's what shepherds did. Remember what David said, young David said in 1 Samuel, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And he, if he rose again against me, I caught him by the beard and I struck him and I killed him. Shepherds protect the sheep. And Jesus did too. He sacrificed his life so that you and I could have salvation. When someone we love is in danger, we will go to untold bounds and measures to keep them safe. Uh, you know, I read a story. Uh, back in January, there was a guy who killed a coyote with his bare hands. That's pretty rad, isn't it, guys? That's pretty macho. So they got this guy and is going through the woods in New Hampshire. They're on a nice little trek through the winter woods, and they come near a pond, and, and the dad, Ian O'Reilly, he notices that there's a coyote who's lurking a little bit too close. And he tries to scare him away and throw rocks at him and kick him away. And he realizes this coyote is not an easy meal. He's coming at me. So this dad, this, this father, this shepherd, in a sense, he, he's running off adrenaline at this point, and he attacks the coyote. And during the craziest, most intense 10-minute battle of his life, he gets one hand around the muzzle of the coyote so as not to be bitten. And he snugs the other one up right along the esophagus in his throat and he chokes the life out of this coyote. In the process, this guy was bitten in the chest and the neck and the arm. And just like any shepherd worth his salt, he'd do it all over again if that's what it took to keep his kids safe. You see, he has no way of knowing whether or not that threat's going to actually get a hold of his kid. He has no way of knowing if this is it for him. I mean, he's fighting a wild beast. But he doesn't care about his own personal well-being. He just does his job, and he keeps the sheep safe. But how many of you are worried about sheep? 
How many of you are worried about anyone stealing your sheep? How many of you are worried really about some wild beast attacking you or your kids? I'm guessing not many of us in this room. But the Bible tells us we don't wrestle against flesh. We wrestle instead against the rulers, against the authorities, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We fight a demonic warfare. We fight spiritual warfare. And I don't care if you're 8 or 80. If you're a Christian, you are fighting. You are in a war. Satan is roaming about seeking whom he can devour. You may cross the finish line as a saved Christian because God won't allow you to be plucked from his hand. But that doesn't mean that Satan doesn't want to ruin your testimony and cause a lot of disgrace on your family and on this church and on the name of Jesus on your way there. We're in a fight. And one of the ways that Satan gets us, one of the ways he attacks us, and if you've been paying attention to the news the past year or the past 20, since we've had this 24-hour news cycle, Satan has weaponized the media. Listen, I don't care which channel you watch. I care that you probably listen to too much. I think we're all guilty of this. We could very easily spend so much time watching and reading and listening and consuming all of this news. And the way they get ratings, I hope you know this, some of you younger ones might not, they get ratings so they get more sponsorship money by having people watch. And they do that by all of the crazy, gross, nasty stuff. All of the stuff that causes us to go, oh my goodness, if that can happen in a small town like that, what's to stop it from happening here? And I'm not pretending for a minute that anyone here is running around like a chicken with their head cut off, just so racked with the stress that they're, that, they're, that they're feeling all of that. But don't we all slip just a little? Don't we all start to lose just a little bit of our trust in God and we start to think about how we can shore up our own home? How we can start preventing and insulating any discomfort coming down the road? Listen, I'm not saying that the, that the media only spreads fairy tales, but what I'm saying is that sometimes things can be blown so out of proportion that your mental and physical well-being will be declining. I've talked to the local doctor when Kendra went in for stitches, and he encouraged people to get out. Yeah, social distance, but get out, do stuff, be with people. Because he is seeing firsthand in his practice the rising number of people suffering from depression and the number of people who are being counseled for addiction. We have a Savior that promises to protect us. Our life may waste away, but the gates of hell will perish before we're ever plucked from his hand. Ladies and gentlemen, we have eternal security in our King. He is the door and he keeps us safe. The words in the Gospel of John may be thousands of years old, but the fact of the matter is this. These words are for you and I today just as much as they were for the blind man, his family, and the Pharisees in John chapter 10. Every day we are faced with an onslaught of attacks by Satan and his army. Every single day you have a million and one opportunities to sin. And just by obeying him, by sacrificing my needs and making sure I put others above me, will I sacrifice to meet the needs of others? And obey? Or am I going to tuck tail and run straight into the desert of doubt? There is no solace. Jesus says, I am the door. And obviously, very clearly here, that applies to the spiritual warfare we fight. When he says later in the chapter, the Father's given them to me. He is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This right here confirms our eternal security in the Savior. Hallelujah. 
We don't have to run around trying to keep track of our sins and finding out how many good things we've done, how much money have we given, how many times have we asked for forgiveness. We know we are secure in Christ. But you know, that's not all God protects us from. It's not just the external, all of the attacks from Satan. It's also the internal. Many of you would probably admit, at least at some point in your life, you've been your own worst enemy. You look back at 2020 and you're like, okay, I picked up one of those Bible reading plans. And I stopped checking boxes in mid-April. I gave up. It was too hard. I got too far behind. You take a look at what you had hoped to give or promised to give, and you're like, hmm, not sure what I failed. You take a look at the neighbor that you were hoping to evangelize this year, or the coworker, and I get COVID's made it very, very tricky for us to evangelize those that don't live in our house. I get it. And that doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means we're going to have to be a little more creative going forward. But we look at the things that we fail on, and we start to get down on ourselves, and we... Man, I've been saved for 20 years and I'm still struggling with this. I'm still wrestling with this. And, and then sometimes we start to think that God's a God. God's a God like we are a father or a mother. Like at what point is he just going to throw up his hands and say, that's it, I'm done, I've had enough. Like seriously, just get away right now because I can't even deal with you. Like how many times have I told you don't do that? You never listen. We sometimes fool ourselves and think, 2021 is going to be my year. This is the year I'm finally going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to hit every one of those reading plan days. I'm going to give like I never gave before. I'm going to serve any chance I can get. I'm finally going to be worthy of the love that I've received. But really, who are we kidding? We weren't good enough to save ourselves. We're not good enough to keep ourselves. And it's only because of Christ that we're saved. We can't do this on our own, folks. We got to have the Spirit. We need Him to protect us from believing our own hype. If we remember this truth, we're going to be protected from our own thoughts. And we see here that Jesus is the door, and because of that, we can trust Him for provision, sorry, protection, but that also means we can trust Him for provision. We see that in verses 9 and 10. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out, and find pasture. What we have translated here in the ESV as door is translated gate in the NIV. And again, the, the, the Greek word, it could go either way, right? It's, it's an entrance way. It's all the same thing here. And, and the interesting part about this is we really dive in and start to unpack what's here in the text. We have to understand that where Jesus is at in Jerusalem... If there's a sheep and a shepherd and now there's a gate, people are going to really easily start to draw the correlation that Jesus is kind of contrasting the sheep gate. It's a really famous gate in Jerusalem. John mentions it in chapter 5. Essentially, this is the gate where you line up all the sheep and they go through the sheep gate. They get washed in the pool of Bethsaida and then they are led to the slaughter. So for Jesus to come in and say, I am the door, or I am the gate of the sheep. It's a head scratcher. Like It's like... It just doesn't compute. Like, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? This is crazy talk. And if you really want to put it in perspective for us modern readers, it's more like Jesus arriving at Planned Parenthood in downtown Flint. Who entered through me will have life and have it to the fullest. It's like, what? This doesn't make sense. Because the sheep gate that we know of, if we're the Pharisees, it's like, this is a, an abandon all hope. Ye who enter here. Like, entrance only. Like, the sheep come in, but they ain't coming out. 
Jesus says, I am the door, and the sheep who come in through me will have salvation, and they're going to come in and out, and they're going to have life and have it abundantly. How beautiful is that? Because if you think about what Jesus invites us into, it's a warm, loving, relational experience with him each and every day. Not a cold, impersonal, oppressive relationship with a set of rules, 90% of which were made by the Pharisees themselves. Like, look at this big distinction here. Jesus is very, very clearly helping the Pharisees to understand he is not what they think he is. He is so much better and so much more. Now, now, now let's keep on going. What's this in and out business? Now, if you're just reading through this, it's like, okay, yeah, the sheep can come in, the sheep can come out, like whatever. But hang on, there's so much more here. There's so much more. This is a Hebrew figure of speech. Kids, it's like an idiom. Uh, some of you teens are in here. It's like if your mom and dad said the reason you didn't get a PS5 for Christmas is because it would cost an arm and a leg. And if you wanted 64 gigs, they'd take an ear too. I don't literally mean that you'd have to lose body parts to get the PlayStation. It says the sheep who enter in through me, the door, they can come in and out. It means deep relational communion, habitual communion and relationship with Christ. That is something that is very foreign to the Pharisees and a lot of people who are listening. It's, it's familiar and free. It's not very restricted and regimented. Now listen, this past year, and, and again, I don't know what's coming down the pipeline in 2021, but living under quarantine or government restrictions is no walk in the park. Oh, wait, wait that's exactly what it was because that's all you could do because that was the only thing that was open. Bad analogy. How about that for an understatement of the year? Living under government restrictions isn't the greatest thing in the world. But that doesn't mean we have no joy. Now listen, I'm not talking about happiness. For a lot of us, 2020 was not a happy year. In fact, I would be so bold as to say that many people here could honestly say that happiness was stolen from them this year. But I'm not talking about joy. That's something entirely different. We, if we are professing faith in Christ, we are purchased with his innocent blood that he shed on the cross. We are eternally secure. And that right there will give us a lifetime of joy. So the sheepfold here, it represents safety and protection. But the sheep don't really want that. Like if you've got this enclosure here and you've got enough sheep, they don't want that. They're going to die if they stay here. Because you get enough sheep in an enclosed area, they're going to run out of grass quicker than we ran out of toilet paper in March. Like they need more. They need running streams. They need fresh pasture. So what does Jesus say here? He's saying that with me, I'm the door. I'm going to keep you safe when you're in the fold. And I'm also going to be the one who leads you out, like the good shepherd in Psalm 23, who's going to lead you beside still waters. I'm going to take you to fresh pasture. Because I am the shepherd, because I am the door, I will keep you safe. That's amazing. 2020 doesn't sound like that, though, does it? 2021 might not be that way either. We know that he's always going to keep us spiritually secure, but man, like how many people had their Thanksgiving and Christmas plans blow up? How many of us have been to the hospital wishing we could get closer to a loved one? How many of us have lost someone dear to us? How many of us have people who are still dealing with the aftermath of all that COVID brought? Whether it's loss of job or loss of job for someone they love or the anxiety of like spending that much time with your kids. I'm kidding. I homeschool. I love my kids. Um, but for the rest of us, like, it, it's crazy, right? There's so much. It's not just the obvious. There are long-lasting impacts of what we've endured in 2020. It doesn't sound like... 
joy. It doesn't sound like satisfaction. I mean, in, in fact, some of us have even spent our 15-year anniversary. It doesn't make me smile. I mean, I can laugh about it now, but I was cold. Wait, that's not me. I was, that was impersonal. That wasn't me. So it happens, right? Like, we all deal with this stuff. But we got to stay focused. Jesus is the door, and he provides protection. He provides provision. He gives us joy. And to help illustrate how that is so radically different from happiness, listen to this. It was many years ago, and all he ever wanted was more. He wanted more money, so he took his inherited wealth, and he parlayed that into a very successful billion-dollar pile of assets. He wanted more fame, so he broke into Hollywood, became an actor and a director. He wanted more sensual pleasure, so he spent gobs and gobs and gobs of money to indulge every wicked fantasy. He wanted more thrills, so he, he actually designed, built, and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power, so he dealt out political favors so that not only one, but two U.S. presidents became this man's pawn. All he ever wanted was more. He was absolutely convinced that more, 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 more is what's going to make his soul delighted. That's what's going to give his life purpose. That's what will make him eternally happy. History, however, paints a rap thin as a rake and fingernails that were inches long corkscrews and he had black, rotten, molding teeth and, and so many needle points and scars in his arms, he looked like a dot to dot. He died a billionaire junkie, so this whole myth of more is nothing but that. It's a myth. More doesn't equate to joy. This guy was insane by all reasonable standards and if you want to know who it is, I'll tell you it was Howard Hughes. He was the producer of Hell's Angels and Scarface, and he died believing the myth of more. When Jesus says that because he's the door, we see here how that also equals provision. That means eternal security. That means joy in him, knowing that we are a forgiven child of the king. It doesn't mean we get more Christmas presents. It doesn't mean we make more money at work. It doesn't mean that we have great health. It means we have Jesus, and that alone is more than everything else combined. Knowing that Jesus is the door and grants us protection and provision should make us well up with joy. We are supposed to desire God and to desire being obedient to Him. He is most satisfied with us when we are most satisfied and whole in Him. I think Piper said that, and it's such a true statement. For protection and for provision, but it also means that because Jesus is the door, we can trust him for presence. And I'm not talking about the ones you guys had underneath the trees a couple days ago. I'm talking about communion, fellowship, being with him. Being with him. Now, now, one thing to note here is Jesus said he is the door, not one of many doors. Now, I know I could have easily titled this message the Christmas door, but I'm not all about that. You guys can dig into that one a little bit deeper when Jesus says, I am the door. But he says here, I am the door. And in Jesus' day, the sheep pens, whether they be constructed out of rocks or maybe if they used a temporary shallow cave for, for a nightly visit with the sheep, by necessity, they would have only had one entrance, right? Because no shepherd, after spending 10 to 12 hours walking through the hilly countryside with his flock of 30, 40, 50 sheep, would want to be in two places at once. You can't both guard here and over there. So they have one entrance. And that's amazing. So, so just like Jesus said, 
He is the door. And again, the door is the entrance point. And when Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved here in verse 9. Or when he says later in verse 28, I give them eternal life. Or when he says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is boldly proclaiming that you go through Jesus and you receive the presence of God. And this is something that the Pharisees needed desperately. This is something the blind man needed. This is what we need today. We need the presence of God. Our greatest need isn't our felt needs or our creature comforts. It's the presence of God. We need this for salvation. We need this for restoration. We need the presence of God so that we can have eternal security. So we can have hope for tomorrow. So we can have strength for today. We need the presence of God, you guys. Like, we have to have this. And we don't get it any other way. You have to go through Jesus. But how? How do we actually set hold, lay claim to, or grasp this presence? How do we get there? Maybe this will help. John Hancock, many know, was the first man to sign the Declaration of Independence but you might not know that he did so because he listened to John Witherspoon, who was in fact the only preacher to sign the Declaration of Independence. John Witherspoon had spoken on the words of Jesus here in John chapter 10 when he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. And on the way home, John Hancock is musing to himself and he's, and he's thinking out loud. Maybe he was even talking to himself and he's saying, I've always admired Witherspoon. And before now, like, I'd always thought he was an intelligent, logical man. But tonight, he didn't make sense to me. How can Jesus be a door, and how can I enter in? And as he's walking through the night to his colonial home, he's fumbling for the key. It's a pretty large key in those days. And he's getting the key, and he puts it in the lock, and he turns it, and he pushes through the door, and he walks into the hallway of his house. And he sees his family. And he says, oh, I see. And they're all laughing at this point, like, like, of course you can see. You you were in the dark, and now you're in the light. Hello? And he's like, no, 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 no. Oh, like, I see something different. I see something else. I see that Jesus is the door, and that faith is the key. And just as I put the key in the door and came into this house physically, at that moment, I put the key of faith in the door, and Jesus Christ has brought me into the light. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have never repented of your sins, brothers and sisters watching on the live stream, if you've never cried out to Jesus and begged for forgiveness, do it today. Use the faith that he's given you and put your trust in him. But that call goes out for salvation to those who don't have it, but it's also the same call to trust Jesus and enter his presence for those of you who've been saved for years and years and years. Because when you look back at 2020, and maybe you're looking forward to 2020, it's technically possible, although I don't think it's likely, that things get much, much worse, right? And so, like, maybe we're not even allowed to gather in person. Maybe we're going to be cold, shivering our butts off back there in the field, and that's how we're going to preach. I don't know. Maybe we'll be allowed to preach, but we won't be allowed to sing, because we've seen crazy things like that happen elsewhere. Maybe as you look forward to what you plan to do for God and you're just on shaky ground because you're honestly not sure if you can do that. Like you feel the call on your life to go. Or you feel the call on your life to serve. 
but you're hesitant. You're just not sure. Like, man, I just don't know I can do this. Maybe you feel so overwhelmed by your own inadequacies or, or the craziness going on at home or, or in work or in your relationships, and you're, you're actually freaking out a little bit because, truth be told, you have no clue how deep the well goes, and you have no hope for fixing any of the mess you're in. If you feel like that, if you're battling addiction or depression or you've got your own other inner demons and you're trying to work through some stuff right now, like I don't know where each and every one of you is at this morning. You need the word of God. You need the presence of God. And that happens through faith, right? And when I say faith, I'm actually talking about something that is, I can't say tangible because that kind of defeats the purpose of faith, but it's something that it's real. Like you could almost touch it because it's so real. It's like if I put all of my weight on something, and if this something moves, I'm going to fall down. But, but take it a, a step further than that. It's like putting all of my weight on something. And if this something moves, I'm going to fall to my death. Like I'm on the edge of a cliff here and I'm putting all of my weight on this. And if it moves, like I'm just going. Like I will just fall and die. And that, that's real faith. The faith that says I don't care what happens to me physically. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. Now listen, if you're, if you're standing like this, and you've got one foot over here and one foot over here. That's not faith. You're not going to fall if this moves. You're hedging your bets. You're still trusting yourself. You're not, you're not actually putting on the faith. You're still trusting yourself. Who are you kidding? You don't have this. I don't have this. We need God. And I get that that kind of freaks us out, right? Because like, if I'm going to admit that I have no clue what I'm doing and there's no way for me to fix my relationship, there's no way for me to salvage my career, and there's definitely no way that I can actually figure out a way where it's a, it's a real possibility of me going and serving there. Because I'm, I'm an introvert, or maybe I'm an extrovert, and they need an introvert, or I don't have enough money, or I don't speak that language, or man, I just don't have that kind of time. Stop. Trust God. If he's called you to it, he will equip you and make it possible. We've got to make sure that we're not hedging our bets. You're driving down the coast of California. This The rave, the waves are rolling in a little bit hypnotic. You, you get a big, deep gulp of that sea mist. You, you hear the gulls making all their noise. It's, it's gorgeous. It's breathtaking. But are you actually in the car? If you're in this car that you're not driving, praise God. You've exercised the faith he's given you and rejoice. Rejoice that no matter what happens to your physical body, no matter what 2021 holds, you are a child of the king. And you will always be a child of the king. You can't mess up bad enough for him to disown you. You are his. You have the power to overcome sin. The very same spirit that empowered Jesus to defeat death on the cross, to defeat Satan in the wilderness, is the very same spirit that you have tapped into right now if you're a Christian. You have the spirit of God. You can overcome whatever comes your way. But to get that, you would have had to have sacrificed what you wanted for your life and submitted to Christ and repented of your sins. But let me ask you, if you're not in the car, if you've never exercised that faith, why not? Honest question, seems like I should be able to ask that. Why not? Are you that good of a driver? Like you're not going to trust the robot car to get you somewhere safely. You're that good of a driver. Is that what I'm hearing? Are you scared that because 
If you get inside that car, it's going to brand you for life. And your coworkers and your neighbors that already kind of snicker behind your back because you go to church and you own a Bible, they're going to think less of you. They're going to think you're even more crazy. Is that your deal? Is that your deal? Like you're so worried about what others think. That's why you won't commit. That's why you won't give in. That's why you won't listen to the Spirit. Is that it? Is it because you're living the good life now and you know that if you followed in obedience with faith to the Word of God, that means Sunday afternoons are no longer yours to do whatever you want? It means you've got a little less time for fishing or scrapbooking or whatever because you're going to be helping serve in ministry. Is that your thing? Maybe, maybe, maybe the reason you're not in the car, the reason you never exercise that kind of faith is really just because you're comfortable doing what you're doing now. I will take care of that later, Jason. I am only a teenager. I'm not going to waste my good years. I'm going to go do the whole college experience. I've got plenty of life ahead of me, brother. I will figure this out when I'm old like you. Thanks. Maybe you're older than I am and you're like, you know, it's funny that some of us actually believe into that lie, right? Like we actually think we've got more time. But did you know that every year roughly 1.3 million people die in automobile accidents worldwide? That's an average of 3,287 deaths per day, and most of these involve a single vehicle. Yeah, driving under the influence and distracted driving are major players here, but it doesn't change the stats. And, and since I've started preaching, 137 people have died. But we never think twice about getting behind the wheel, do we? Of course not. Got 10 and 2, changed the radio station once. I'm not texting, I'm not eating, I'm not doing makeup, not, uh, not, not doing anything else, not fighting with the kids in the back. I, I'm just locked in and I'm focused. But that doesn't guarantee anything. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And listen, I promise you, I don't bring this up to scare you. This is not a scare tactic. I don't do that because I've got some quota to meet to how many people I get converted to Christ or baptisms for the, for the year. That's not how we roll here. I say it because I genuinely love you. And if you're watching live stream, yes, this church loves you too. We, we want you to be secure in Jesus, not yourself. Don't put it off till tomorrow. If you're thinking that you're going to do it later, or you're thinking you'll do it after you figure out some other stuff, once you understand how this works just a little bit more, you just got to stop. All right? Just stop. Just stop. You know who's fighting me right now. And you're not fighting me. You're fighting the, fighting the Spirit because the Spirit wants you to convert now. The Spirit wants you to just sacrifice, wave the white flag, and surrender. Just stop. Stop fighting God. You're not promised tomorrow, and neither am I. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, so please, please enter the door. Go through the door that is Jesus. Enter into his protection. Enter into his provision. And enter into his saving presence. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for showing us your word today where, where Jesus boldly proclaims that he is the door. Lord, we know that Jesus can provide all of our needs and we know that Jesus gives us protection and we know that in his presence there is saving grace. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning or anyone watching online, that if they are convicted right now, Lord, if they are wrestling with the Spirit, if they are not sure where they will spend eternity, 
Lord, I pray that they would talk to me after the service. I pray that they'd talk to one of the other pastors, one of the deacons, or talk to a friend who brought them here. Lord, call, text, email, Facebook, you name it. Lord, I pray that they would not rest until they get this figured out. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us as Let's stand and respond to the awesome gift.